a moral panic had enveloped the U.S. as Cold War tensions were ramping up. A destructive blaze was sweeping through the comic book industry, fueled by anti-comic book rhetoric during Senate hearings about the dangers of the medium on the minds of young children. Comic book publishers were facing book burnings and outrage from parents and children's groups. Anxious that government intervention was imminent, a group of publishers voluntarily formed a new organization to address the public's concerns. This new institution would partner with advertisers and distributors to choke out any publishers who would not submit to rules that earned each book their special seal of approval. This is a story of the Comics Code Authority. Comic books have given us some of the longest-lasting characters who inspire and sometimes motivate us to do better. Sadly, the industry behind them is not beholden to such ideals. From controversial stories and censorship to double-crossing companies leaving creators in obscurity, the history of sequential art is dark, deep, and complex. In comic books, there is a name for the tomes that we dig through exploring the full history, good and bad, of the characters we love. These are Back Issues. If you're listening to this series in order, you'll remember that Dr. Frederick Wortham said, quote, I think Hitler was a beginner compared to the comic book industry. In our last two episodes, we explored his life and work. To briefly summarize, in case you've skipped those, and you shouldn't, Dr. Wortham testified before a Senate subcommittee that comics were the reason for violence in young children. Quote, The world of the comic book is the world of the strong, ruthless, the bluffer, the shred deceiver, the torturer, and the thief. End quote. His contempt for the medium was endless, and regardless of what he saw, he lumped all comics into the same basket, determined to burn all of them. So let's go back to 1948. Even before Dr. Wortham had entered the arena, comics had been under the attack by the public. Several major publishers of the time formed a group to govern the type of content that could be published. This early form of comic censorship never really gained steam with most publishers refusing to join. And some of the founders of this new seal of approval would eventually back out. Just like the Hayes Code that was adopted by Hollywood, this was a self-regulating group attempting to avoid forced government oversight. But without cooperation from many publishers, it quickly dissolved. Now fast forward to April 1954, the Senate was on their second day of a subcommittee meeting on childhood delinquency. William Gaines, the co-editor of EC Comics, was actually readying himself to testify on the behalf of the entire industry. According to the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund website, he began the day fired up, full of energy, and ready to take on the world and their assumptions about everything he published. As the day moved on, Gaines's testimony was moved again and again and again 
as though the organizers wished to tire and discredit his argument before he even had the opportunity to speak. Just before he was finally set to testify, he was moved one final time in order for the Senate subcommittee to hear from Dr. Wortham. Recall that earlier I shared his assertions about the evils of comics along with his comparison of the industry to Hitler. Even before the internet, comparisons to Hitler could easily shut down any conversation or competition. Finally, Gaines was able to share his protests against people like Wortham. He stood in defiance before a nation that wanted to tear him down and destroy everything his family had worked for. He chose not to placate the group or the nation at all. He defended comic books with courage and confidence. His words were, quote, I was the first publisher in these United States to publish horror comics. I am responsible. I started them. Some may not like them. That is a matter of personal taste. It would be just as difficult to explain the harmless thrill of a horror story to a Dr. Wortham as it would be to explain the sublimity of love to a frigid old maid. He'd continue on, quote, What are we afraid of? Are we afraid of our own children? Do we forget that they are citizens too? and entitled to select what to read or do? Do we think our children are so evil, so simple-minded, that it takes a story of a murder to set them to murder, a story of robbery to set them to robbery? Jimmy Walker once remarked that he never knew a girl to be ruined by a book. Nobody has ever been ruined by a comic." End quote. He would even go so far as to dive into the psychology of basic human needs in his defense. Again, quoting him, There are many problems that reach our children today. They are tied up with insecurity. No pill can cure them. No law will legislate them out of being. The problems are economic and social and they are complex. Our people need understanding. They need to have affection. Decent homes, decent food. But the end was decided. The Comic Magazine Association of America was formed, and within the year, the Comics Code Authority was established. Like the earlier association of comic magazine publishers, this group was also set up by the publishers to avoid government intervention. I will include a link to the full list of rules in the episode description, but here are a few examples of what participating publishers had to be mindful of when crafting new stories. Policemen, judges, government officials, and respected institutions shall never be presented in such a way as to create disrespect for established authority. Crimes shall never be presented in such a way as to create sympathy for the criminal to promote distrust of the forces of law and justice, or to inspire others with a desire to imitate criminals. No comic magazine shall use the word horror or terror in its title. Getting nitpicky at this point. Inclusion of stories dealing with evil shall be used or shall be published 
only where the intent is to illustrate a moral issue, and in no case shall evil be presented alluringly, nor so as to injure the sensibilities of the reader. Although slang and colloquialisms are acceptable, excessive use should be discouraged, and, wherever possible, good grammar shall be employed. <laughs> I mean, wow. All, all characters shall be depicted in dress reasonably acceptable to society. Divorce shall not be treated humorously nor represented as desirable. Passion or romantic interest shall never be treated in such a way so as to stimulate the lower and baser emotions. Advertisement of sex or sex instruction books are unacceptable. Liquor and tobacco advertising is not acceptable. Respect for parents, the moral code, and for honorable behavior shall be fostered. A sympathetic understanding of the problems of love is not a license for morbid distortion. And they get even stranger and weird, weirder than that. Unlike the previous attempt at self-regulation of comic book stories, this set of rules would stick. Collaborating with the Comics Code Authority was not mandated, but a major factor contributed to its power. Large-scale parents groups and even the Boys and Girl Scouts of America were harassing publishers and distributors. They were also participating in events as harsh as book burnings. In order to avoid this harassment or even negative press, distributors actually started refusing to move comics that did not have the stamp of approval from the Comics Code Authority. Carrying anything without that emblem made carriers targets for groups to harass or worse. This was the birth of the Silver Age of Comics. And remember William Gaines, who had testified passionately before the Senate Subcommittee in Defense of Comics? Who was the son of one of the most successful publishers and a historical publisher in his own right? After the formation of the Comics Code Authority, he would end every comic book line he published. His time with comic books completely ended. Another casualty of the war on comics that would completely destroy 75% of the comics being published at the time. But William Bill Gaines wasn't done. He ended all of his lines to refocus on one of his old favorites, transforming this one book into a magazine that only ended publication in 2018. One of the few positive outcomes of the adoption of the Comics Code Bill Gaines ended up creating the greatest satirical magazine of the last century, recognized by a characterized drawing of a red-headed boy named Alfred E. Newman. He called it Mad Magazine. To survive into the next age of comics, many publishers would need to adapt to the new code, reassess their output, or, like Bill Gaines did, try something new, and break the rules. In part two of this episode, we will look at how publishers fared and were able to survive during this era of harsh censorship.
Season 1 of Back Issues was written, edited, researched, and birthed by me, Marcus Robertson. I really hope you enjoy this first set of episodes. If you do, consider subscribing and going to my social media links below to say hello. Furthermore, if you're willing to give, I do have a Patreon. I want to continue to explore all that comics have to offer, and I can share that journey with your help. Thank you so much for already giving me your valuable time. You're the best, and I cannot wait to share more with all of you.